Hey, Selma. Welcome to the teaching portion of our gathering today. As Joel mentioned, my name is Craig Parker, and I'm a deacon here at Selma. And for the past several weeks, we've been looking at the book of Psalms to help ground us in the goodness of God during a time of cultural crisis. And today we're looking at one of my favorites, Psalm 13. So while you're turning there, I'd like to share a term that the pandemic has added to my vocabulary, coronacation. It's what you do when the governor lifts a stay-at-home order and you take a vacation from corona, hence the term coronacation. And we took one. No, don't worry, we didn't go on a cruise, but we did jump in the car and drive 18 hours to our favorite place on the planet, Colorado. Unfortunately, my wife sprained her ankle, and so we weren't able to do a whole lot of hiking. Instead, we went to a tourist trap outside of Colorado Springs called Cave of the Winds. And see, I even got the t-shirt. To be honest with you, it was kind of lame. The guide led us into the cave and told us that it was discovered by two boys back in 1880. Nice to know. She went on to explain that the pointy things growing down from the top of the ceiling are called stalactites, while the pointy things growing up from the floor are called stalagmites. What's the other way around? I can never remember. But the kind of lame tour became really cool when she turned off the lights and we experienced what she called cave darkness. She went on to explain what would happen if we were trapped in the cave, how the cave darkness would disorient us and we would begin hallucinating. To prove it, she told us to wave our hands in front of our faces. Can you see your fingers? Yeah, I can. No, you can't, she answered. You're hallucinating. Your brain is telling you that your fingers are moving, but you can't actually see them. Whoa. Just then, the lady behind me began hyperventilating. And so our guide turned the lights back on. We experienced cave darkness for a minute. But I tried to imagine what it would be like to be trapped in the cave, all alone, in the dark, for a day, for a month. problem is, if you are trapped in a cave, you have no way of knowing how long you've been in there, or worse yet, how long before you get out. Now, I know the odds of being trapped in an actual cave are pretty small, but my guess is today that some of us are trapped in a medical cave. Others of us are trapped in a relational cave, and others of us are trapped in a vocational cave. For the past four years, that's where I've been. For 25 years, I served as a pastor. Then one day, someone turned off the light, and I left a job I loved, and now I'm in a job I hate. The problem is, I'm good at it, and they just won't fire me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful I'm not trapped in a medical cave with a terminal disease, or worse yet, in a relational cave, in a terminal marriage. But it's hard. 
Here's the problem. When you're trapped in a cave, the question you can't answer is, how long? With that in mind, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the cave that you were trapped in. All right? Let me pray. Got it? Now just listen to the words of Psalm 13. And for full effect, I want you to close your eyes and imagine like David, you're trapped in the cave all alone in the dark. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, and that's the most important word, but... I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We thank God quizzically because, biblically speaking, Psalm 13 is a lament. Like most laments, it can be broken down into three seldom quick but never easy steps. Step one, complaint. Step two, request. And step three, worship. And you may have noticed that I have hand motions for the message, but uh, let's practice them so we can remember it. Step one, complaint. Step two, request. And step three, worship. But here's the problem. When we lament, most of us don't move beyond our complaint. And that is why we stay trapped in the cave. And so if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. To get out of the cave, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. The gospel? Isn't that what I believed back in junior high? Yeah, I I think I remember that. My youth pastor said that if I prayed the prayer, I would go to heaven when I died, which sounded a whole lot better than the other place. So I said, sure, why not? (laughs) That's not exactly the gospel, but this much is true. If the gospel has the power to get you out of hell, it also has the power to get you out of the cave. But to preach the gospel here in Psalm 13, I first need to explain how David gets there. Before he is trapped in the cave, David is on a roll. First, he is anointed as king. Then he slingshots Goliath. And then he conquers the Philistines. As David rides into Jerusalem, he's on a white horse waving to the crowds. And the women come out singing. Saul is slain his thousands, but David slain his tens of thousands. And from that moment, the current king, Saul, tries to kill him. 
So David hightails it out of Jerusalem, and he heads to the last place Saul would ever look for him, the city of Gath, the hometown of Goliath. I mean, what, what could go wrong? Despite his fake mustache, the Philistines say, hey, aren't you the guy that slingshot Goliath? And so they drag him in front of their king. Not knowing what to do, David does his best Jack Nicholson impersonation. Not the one from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the one from The Shining. Wait for it. Here's Johnny! All right, if you don't know who Johnny is, don't worry. David starts babbling incoherently. <laughs> and there's drool dripping down his beard. The Philistine king says... This guy's a few french fries short of a Happy Meal. Instead, instead of killing David, he kicks him out of the country. And that is when we read here in Samuel chapter 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And it is there in that very cave that David writes Psalm 13. In his lament, David teaches us how to get out of the cave. Take a look. To get out of the cave, the seldom quick but never easy step one is we complain honestly. Back in the 1960s, Martin Seligman conducted a famous experiment on what psychologists call classical conditioning. First, Seligman placed a dog in a cage then he rang a bell, and then finally, he shocked a dog. Now, I know what you're thinking. You should never shock a dog. A cat, maybe, but never a dog. I'm sorry. Before long, the dog became conditioned to the bell. Whenever the bell rang, the dog acted as if it had already been shocked. But then something unexpected happened. Seligman placed the dog in a second cage that was divided in two by a low partition. When the dog was shocked, he expected it to jump over the partition to escape. But it didn't. It simply laid in the cage and whimpered. Seligman called the condition learned helplessness. The failure to escape a negative situation because the past has taught you what's the use. It won't make any difference. And like the dog, it would be easy for David to lay down in the cave and whimper. But to overcome his learned helplessness, David laments by complaining honestly here in verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now here's the question. Does David really think the Lord has forgotten him? Like if the two of them met on the street, the Lord would say, excuse me, sir, have we met? Of course not. 
In laments like this, we don't find right theology. We find raw humanity. David doesn't think the Lord has forgotten him up here. David feels, and that's the key word in a lament. He feels like the Lord has forgotten him down here. And David gets to the heart of the matter when he asks the Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? The Hebrew word for face is panim. And one of the first places it's found is in the book of Numbers. It's a blessing that uh, I'm sure many of you have heard before. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Do you see the problem? David is believing the wrong gospel. The one that equates the blessing of God with the presence of God. Trapped in the cave, David isn't living his best life now, and so he feels like the Lord has left him. And so do we. And that is why step one is to complain honestly. If we don't, we'll be trapped in one of two ditches. On the right is the ditch of denial, where everything is wonderful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But on the left is a ditch of despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the only way to steer between the two ditches, not just emotionally, but theologically, is to preach the gospel to ourselves. Not the happy, clappy K-love gospel where everything's positive and encouraging, but the nitty gritty gospel, the kind you would hear at the slippery noodle, where the room is dark and the floors are dirty. But there's a guy up front who kind of looks like Jesus singing the Beatitude Blues. Dun, 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 dun. All right, put your hands together, or not. Dun, 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 dun. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. But Jesus doesn't. Look how he ends the Beatitude Blues here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And if the gospel is true, tell me, what is the worst-case scenario for David? Saul kills him. And if David dies, great is his reward in heaven. You see, in God's kingdom, whenever there's a crucifixion, there's always a resurrection. Wherever there is darkness, there is always light. Question is, when you are trapped in a cave, will you believe the gospel? To get out of the cave, step one, we complain honestly. But the seldom quick but never easy step two is we request tenaciously. 
Earlier I mentioned that for the past four years I've been trapped in a vocational cave. Back in 1998, we moved our family to Indianapolis to plant a church. And I don't have time to tell you all the miracles God did to make our dream a reality. But 18 years later, our dream became a nightmare. I don't have time to give you all the gory details, but like many pastors, I burned out and I became depressed. I worked on my issues, and then I began working on the church's issues, and I was making some progress until the day I was called to a meeting and unceremoniously fired. Needless to say, it was a messy divorce, and so I not only lost my job, I lost my reputation, which made finding a new church pretty difficult. My wife, Lisa, asked me, how long? And I told her, three months tops. Rejoice in the Lord always. But six months later, I took a temp job as a meter reader. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'll never forget the day that I drove my little meter reading truck to the home of a friend who had betrayed me. And I snuck into his backyard and prayed, Dear God, don't let him see me. It would be so humiliating. But while the Lord and I were having a conversation, I had a few things I wanted to get off my chest. Really? This guy steals my job, and you want me to read his meter? And so I lamented, How long, Lord, will you forget me? Forever? Soon learned helplessness set in, and I stopped applying to churches and took a sales job. Then this January, a little light peeked into my vocational cave when Brandon came and asked if I would be able to preach a message every once in a while. And I said, well, sure. Yeah, maybe I can't pastor, but I can preach. I can make a difference still, I think. And I was so excited. I prepared my message, and I was all ready to give it on March 22nd. Yeah. That's the day COVID canceled the service. And once again, I lamented. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? But while preparing this message on Psalm 13, the Lord convicted me of something. That I have become a lazy lamenter. You see, complain honestly is step one of the lament. But to get out of the cave, you have to get up from the floor and move on. You have to move on to step two. Request tenaciously, like David does here, In verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. If you look closely, it's not exactly a request. It's a demand. David gets up from the floor. He reaches out and he grabs hold of God and he demands Look on me and answer, Lord my God. 
prayer like that sounds impious, but ask yourself this question. If the Lord didn't want us to pray that way, why does he put David's lament in the Bible? In his commentary on the Psalms, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner writes, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. And as one who spent some time in the cave, I can assure you, the problem isn't when you start praying desperate prayers. It is when you stop. Remember that dog whimpering in the cage? When he feels the shock, he's able to jump over the partition and escape. But he doesn't. He says to himself, what's the use? It won't make any difference. Remember what that condition was called? Learned helplessness. And spiritually speaking, something similar happens to us, or at least it happened to me. Learned prayerlessness. When I tried to pray, I would say to myself, what's the use? It won't make any difference. But to preach the gospel to ourselves, we have to overcome our learned prayerlessness and request tenaciously. The good news is when we don't know what to pray, God gives us the words right here in Psalm 13 because he knows how men and women pray when they are desperate. And before we pray David's impious prayer, I want you to think of the cave that you're trapped in. Like me, it could be a vocational cave, and you're asking, how long? Or it could be a medical cave, and you're asking, how long? Or it could be a relational cave, and you're asking, how long? Now, together with David, I want you to get up from the floor of the cave, grab hold of God and demand. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And before you assume that the Lord hasn't answered your prayer, I want to show you how the Lord answered David. This is the cave of Adullam. It's located on a high ridge overlooking the Elah Valley from which David could see for 40 or 50 miles. And if Saul and his army was coming toward him to attack, he would have at least a day's notice. And even if Saul snuck up on him, there are plenty of places in the cave where David can hide. Which is why the name Adullam comes from the Arabic word Adullah, which means refuge. You see, David isn't trapped in the cave because God is cursing him. David is trapped in the cave because God is blessing him. David is right where God wants him. And so are you. To get out of the cave, step one, we complain honestly. Step two, we request tenaciously. But the seldom quick and never easy step three is we worship faithfully. Look what David writes here in verse five. 
but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, I want you to take a good look at those verses and tell me, what is the most important word? The Bible scholars among us will say, well, the most important word is the Lord. The Hebrew word is Jehovah, and it's the covenant name for God. Don't get me wrong, that word is important, but it is not the most important. Then you say, well, then it must be the word love. The Hebrew word is chesed, and it's a covenant word for love. That's important too, but it is not the most important. All right, I'll give you a hint, and we have to go back a ways in the Bible. Back in the time of Noah, when water flooded the earth, we read in the book of Genesis, but... God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were set with him in the ark. When all hope is lost, the most important word is but. Then in the time of Moses, when Pharaoh followed the Israelites, we read in the book of Exodus, but God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. When all hope is lost, the most important word is but. David complains honestly. David requests tenaciously. But when he remembers the story of Noah, the story of Moses, not to mention the story of David, how Goliath came after him with a javelin, and all David has is a little slingshot. But God saved him. And when he finally preaches the gospel to himself, David worships faithfully. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David knew those stories, but he didn't know the story. The one the Apostle Paul tells in the book of Romans, the story of the gospel. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When all hope is lost, the most important word is but. And if you're having a hard time believing that, I want you to look around at the cave that you're trapped in. Does it look familiar? It should. Listen again to the words of the gospel. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And when the soldiers took Jesus down from the cross, you know where they put him, don't you? The cave. And it was there when all hope was lost that God raised him from the dead. I don't know when and I don't know how, but I do know this, that one day God will raise you because caves are where God does his greatest miracles. In God's kingdom, whenever there's a crucifixion, there's always a resurrection. Wherever there is darkness, there is always light. Especially in the cave. To get out of the cave, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. We complain honestly. We request tenaciously, and we worship faithfully. Like David, we say to the Lord, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And to give you hope, let me tell you the end of David's story. At the beginning of the message, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. But then we read this here in verse 2, and this is great. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better description of the church. Those who were distressed, those who were in debt, those who were discontented gathered around him. And so today, if you're trapped in the cave, you may be in the dark, but you are not alone. The Lord is with you. And also with me.